Well, good morning, church. It's certainly good to be with you. And let me begin by saying thank you so much for the warm welcome that you have given me and my family over the past few weeks as we are transitioning here to serve on staff as the new senior student pastor. It's been such an incredible um, opportunity to be here. It's also a great opportunity to fill in for Pastor DJ this morning as we began to talk to DJ and pray about God's leading in us coming here. I remember telling Courtney, um, why don't we go back and, and do a little homework on the church? Of course, we already knew the reputation of Church at the Mill. But I said, I'm going to just go back. I believe that they are in a sermon series in the Old Testament uh, in the book of Jeremiah. Let me, let me just go back and watch that series real quick. <laughs> and then I'll give Pastor DJ a call back. One year later, I called him back, and God moved, and we are here. If you're new around here, you will understand in a few weeks that. But I like giving him a hard time. But the reality is, DJ Horton is one of the great preachers of our time, but as I've gotten to know him personally, he's an even greater man, and he's a great leader. So such an honor to fill in for him today. We have been in a series in the month of December called Glory Amazed by the Christ of Christmas. We began this series looking at glory believed in Hebrews 1, Christ as the radiance of the glory of God. Then we looked at, G, at glory blesses, glorious peace. And we talked about that peace is a person and the person of Jesus. We looked at glory belongs as we had an incredible time of worship here together. We looked at glory born on Christmas Eve as Pastor DJ walked us through John chapter 1. And today... We wrap up our series with glory bestowed. Bestowed. It means to confer, to grant, to gift. No doubt yesterday, probably everyone here had gifts bestowed on them. Some were great gifts. Some are gifts you're still trying to figure out what they were. Some of you received a gift that was very valuable. Some may have received a gift and it has no value to you. Here's the thing about gifts. Some gifts are practical. They're just what you need. Some gifts are pointless. And you say, what was the point of this? Now, people will try to say, like, oh, it's the thought that counts. And I know you want to say, well, you should have thought about giving me a better gift. Some gifts are terrible. Some gifts are perfect. I hope you got a gift for Christmas that means so much to you. But as we wrap up our series today, we want you to know that whatever your best gift, no gift compares to Christ bestowing his glory on us. 
If you've been around for the past four weeks, you've heard a lot about the glory of God, where it comes from, who it is, how it works. And as we talk about the glory of God being the greatest gift as Christ bestows his glory on us, you may still be trying to figure out how practically is that the best gift in my life? How does this work? Well, the Apostle Paul understood that the bestowing of Christ's glory was the greatest gift. And he goes to great lengths to explain to his readers to explain to his friends, to explain to the church at Corinth exactly why this was such a great gift. Some of y'all, if you went to your parents' house for Christmas and you got them some technology, you were in the business yesterday of explaining a gift. Some of you, all of a sudden, you thought you'd get your mom an iPhone, and all of a sudden, you're working at a genius bar the entire day of Christmas explaining how it works. Some of our parents or grandparents still have the clock flashing on their VCR because they've never figured out how it works. Paul wants to explain exactly why the gift of Christ's glory bestowed, exactly why it is so great. In 2 Corinthians chapter three, verses 12 through 18, he says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened for to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is a spirit. Paul is explaining to his readers the value, the greatness of the glory of God bestowed. And he begins in verse 12 by saying, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. He's talking about the glory of God, but he begins here by saying, we are very bold. Why is he bold? He says, since he has such a hope. Well, what hope? We got to go backwards here to see what he's talking about as he explains the gift of glory bestowed. If we go back to verse 4 here, it says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Check this out. Now, if the ministry of death, 
carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of his glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was a glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, how much more will what is permanent have glory? What in the world is Paul talking about here? He's explaining this boldness that he has as a result of the glory of God. He says it's because of a hope. And the hope is because, and he gives this long explanation where he begins to compare the effects of Moses' ministry, which he calls a ministry of death, to his own ministry, which he calls a ministry of the Spirit. And he compares how God's glory was bestowed in both circumstances. When you're trying to explain something, maybe to your parents, maybe to a friend, oftentimes you will take them back to something that they know that they're familiar with, and you will begin to compare. You will begin to explain. You'll start rolling out for them in terms they can understand so that they can then understand the gift. Now, we need to know a little background here as he's talking about Moses and he's talking about a veil and he's talking about the old covenant and the new covenant. If we go back to Exodus chapter 33 and 34, we see what he's talking about here. Moses tells God, God, show me your glory. Now, just as a reminder, DJ week one explained to us that the glory is the greatness, the beauty, and the perfection of all that God is. Dr. Tony Evans says, glory is the advertising of God through his attributes. It is the visible manifestation of the attributes of God. It is the awesomeness of his being. And Moses says, God, I want you to show me your glory. God, I wanna see it. I wanna, I wanna see your face. I wanna see your awesomeness. Let's see it. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that Moses has already seen the glory of God. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, and he sees a burning bush and he realizes that from the burning bush, it is the presence of God speaking to him. And Moses says, here I am. And God speaks to him and, and God says, Moses, I have something for you. I want to reveal myself to you. I have purposes and I have plans for your life. And if you're familiar with the story, Moses almost missed the glory of God because he began to make excuses. God, not me. You must have the wrong man. You must have the wrong person. God said, trust me. Later we see that God provides a way for Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery. 
And we see God reveal his glory through the plagues and Pharaoh. Later, he's moving the Israelites and they come upon the great sea and he says, God, what are we gonna do? And God shows his glory, displays his splendor as he parted the sea and Moses and the Israelites, they walked across on dry ground. Over and over again, God displayed his splendor and his glory and Moses is now saying, God, show me your glory. Here's one thing I know about the glory of God. If you have recognized it, if you have seen it, you want to see more of it. And Moses is saying, God, I I want to see more of you. I want to have more of you. I think the opposite of that is true too. If we're not interested in the glory of God, I think so many times we miss it. I think sometimes we come to church and we sit and we listen and we leave. We even get a cup of coffee that goes to a great cause. And and all of this displaying of the glory of God and we miss it because we're not interested in seeing it. Moses says, I don't want to miss it. Not only do I want to miss it, I want to see more of your glory. And God said to him, Moses, you can't see my face. For no man can see my face and live. Any more than a gnat could fly through Niagara Falls. Any more than you can visit the sun, you would be burnt to a crisp. But God said, let me tell you what I'm going to do. And he hides Moses in the cleft of a rock And he covers his face with his hand and God allows his glory to pass by. And as he passes by, he takes his hand off of Moses and Moses is allowed to see the backside of God for that's all he could handle. Moses comes down off the mountain and there's two things that the people see about him. Number one, he is carrying the 10 commandments, the law on tablets of stone. Number two, his face was shining. It was illuminating because he had been in the presence of God. He had experienced the glory of God. And it says that Aaron and all the people, they were terrified because his face was shining. He's carrying the law that revealed their sinfulness His face is shining because he had been in the presence of the glory of God. And the result of this is that Moses covered his face with a veil so that the adulterous, hardened hearts of the people could not see it. Paul tells us about this glory, the shining on his face, that it was fading away. As Moses would go and spend time with the Lord, his face would glow and it would shine. And after some time, the shining, the glow would begin to fade. We also know symbolically that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the law was beginning to fade as God had a plan to usher in the glory of Jesus. So he tells his story. He's explaining the glory of Jesus. And he goes back to the law 
the ministry of death versus the ministry of the, the spirit. He says that one brings death, one brings life. If we were to contrast these two, if we were to look at the law versus the spirit, we see that the law condemns, the spirit acquits. The law eliminates sinners, the spirit illuminates them. The law demands obedience, the spirit gives it. The law brings judgment, which leads to death. The spirit brings righteousness, which leads to life. What is Paul's point? Don't miss this here. All of this about the law, about Moses, here's his point. If the glory was bestowed on a ministry that was chiseled in stone, that was temporary, that resulted in death, how much more is glory bestowed on the ministry of the spirit, which is inscribed in hearts, which is abiding, which leads to life. The glory of God revealed in the face of Christ that shines in our hearts, it is far greater. It'll never end. Looking at it does not lead to death, but allows believers to begin the transformation into a perfect glory. With that in mind, we can begin to see regarding the gift of Christ's glory that Paul recognized the value of this gift. He recognized the value of the gift. See, the veil comes to stand for a hardened condition that prevents those who study the law, who try to do what's right, who check the boxes to keep them from understanding God's true glory. In verse 15, it says, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. See, Moses' unveiling before the glory of the Lord, it resulted in a transformation. The Christian's unveiling results in an even greater transformation. In the Old Testament, when we speak of the Shekinah glory, we're talking about the glory of God that dwells in the midst of men. In the Old Testament, there were two places that the spirit, that the glory of God dwelt. Number one was the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. Number two was the temple. And not Anyone, not everyone, had access to this. In the temple, there was a place called the Holy of Holies, where the Shekinah glory, the presence, the spirit of God dwelt. And around the Holy of Holies, there was a veil, there was a curtain. And only once a year could the priest, high priest, go into the Holy of Holies and fellowship with God. When Jesus died on the cross, we're told that the veil was torn from top to bottom. Symbolizing that everyone, Jew and Gentile, everyone now had access to God. And the dwelling place of God was not limited to the Holy of Holies. The dwelling place of God would now be within his people. 
the church. Regarding the gift of Christ's glory, we see that he not only realized the value of the gift, we see that he realized the purpose of the gift. We see in verse 18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The New American Standard translates it this way. With unveiled faces looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. See, to understand the greatest gift that is given to us, we have to understand this idea of spiritual formation. Spiritual formation. Here's what spiritual formation is. It is the ongoing process of a triune God transforming the believer's life and character toward the life and character of Jesus Christ. It's accomplished by the Holy Spirit in the context of biblical community. Spiritual formation. It is a process for every believer in which we are transformed, in which we are changed. There's some theological terms here that I think are very helpful if we're going to understand this concept. The first one is this, the idea of justification. Justification is God's declaration that a sinner is righteous through the work of Jesus Christ. It's God's righteous act of removing condemnation and guilt and the penalty of sin. The law, the Old Testament, condemned man. What did Jesus do? We see in Colossians 2, 13 and 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Then he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. See, to understand how you can access the gift of the glory of God, you must understand that Jesus paid the debt demanded by the law. Too many people are not experiencing the gift of God's glory because they're still living under the law. Too many students I talk to, as I talk about are you living in the spirit? Is God changing your life? What are you doing? They equate their relationship with God to a one-time thing that can never go anywhere. When I say, how are you experiencing and living God's best for your life? How is God changing you? What is God doing in you? And they say, Trip, you don't understand. I don't think God can use me because look at how I've messed up. Look at my past. Look at the mistakes that I've made. 
Listen, family, we got to come back to this verse right here. That Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. And he nailed it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. I think so many times we allowed the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy God's best for our lives. Because we believe that that record of debt we still carry. Some of y'all know I have a background in law enforcement. I remember the first time someone pulled a gun on me. Immediately, I was powerless. Immediately, I was at their mercy. Immediately, everything changed and I felt like I had no authority at all. What if someone pulls a gun on you, but then you find out they have no bullets in their gun? Come on, everything changes. Everything changes. Because all five foot eight of me right now is about to throat punch somebody. You know? What I once was scared of is now rendered powerless. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He canceled our record of sin and he rendered the enemy powerless in our lives. Listen, if you're not experiencing the fullness of the gift of God's glory in your life, are you allowing the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy this gift in your life? Are you believing a lie? Let me tell you, the only power that the enemy has in your life is what you give him. Because of Jesus, there is no authority there. And if Satan is looking back, saying God cannot bestow this gift on you because of your past. Listen, the enemy will try to define us by our scars, but Jesus says you're defined by his scars. So with this idea that Jesus has come to set us free, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Our record of sin and guilt associated with the law has been canceled. The record of debt has been nailed to the cross. The enemy is rendered powerless. What now? Now we have to understand this other theological term called sanctification. Sanctification is this, is God's transformation of the believer's whole being, his mind, his will, behaviors, and affections through the work of the Holy Spirit. See, God loves us enough to meet us where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. He wants to transform us. He wants to change us. Change us into what? Into the likeness of his son, beholding as in a mirror the radiance, the glory of God. And then we have to understand this idea of glorification. The idea of glorification, this refers to the nature of believers after death and judgment. This is the final step in the application of redemption. See, God's plan for every believer 
is that we be transformed one day fully into the image and the likeness of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, but one thing I do, this is of supreme importance here. There is one thing that I do. I forget what lies behind and I strain forward for what lies ahead. And I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. What is the prize? What is the goal? What, what is it all about? Being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. That's it. Being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Paul says this is what it's all about. The one thing I do, I strain forward. So many people miss out entirely on this because they equate their relationship with Jesus to a one-time prayer. I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna get some fire insurance and then I'm gonna go on about my life. Uh-uh. Jesus came that we can have life and life abundantly. And listen, fam, you're not experiencing abundant life. I'm not experiencing abundant life if I am not constantly, every day, being changed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. That is the very reason for which I was created. What drives this process? What drives this transformation? The key word here is discipleship. Now, growing up, I used to think discipleship was about, oh, I got to go to church training. I got to take this 101 class and a 201 class and a 301 class. I've come to realize the beauty of it being so much bigger. It's not about me checking something off. It's not about, oh, I've got these spiritual disciplines I got to do and I got to check this off my list right now. Discipleship is any intentional step towards connecting with God and connecting with biblical community. If we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. In order to experience the glory of God, Moses had to come close. Moses had to say, here I am. The apostle Paul on the road to Damascus had to respond in obedience to him. And as he did, God began to pour out his spirit and his presence and his glory. Here's what happened as we draw close to God. We should expect to be changed. In the presence of the glory of God, we should expect change. When I draw near the Father, I hear his voice. I experience his love and his spirit supernaturally changes me. See, just as Moses walked away from the presence of God changed, so I should walk away from the presence of God expecting to be different. Let me get personal here for a minute. I talk to people all the time, and I have the same response. There's people in my life that get on my last good nerve. There's people in my life that I don't want to forgive because they've wronged me in terrible ways. There's people who have hurt me. There's people that, I'll love them, God, but I ain't got to like them. I, I don't want, there's people like that. And if I believe that the gift 
of Christ's glory bestowed on me changes me. I cannot spend time with God and his word and expect to walk away the same. This is where living in relationship with Jesus gets exciting. Because as I draw near to the glory and the presence of God through his word, through worship, through biblical Christian community, I have to expect that I'm going to be different. What if we went to work in the morning and we said, God, because I've experienced your glory today, I'm going to expect when I see that dude, I'm going to treat him different. God, I'm going to expect, even though my husband is driving me crazy, I'm going to expect to love him better today. I'm going to expect to be more gracious to my wife today. Because just as Moses' countenance, his face, his very appearance changed in the presence of God, I wonder if we have that same anticipation in our life every day. As I left Sugar Hill Church several weeks ago, my incredible student ministry team planned a special Wednesday night. It was my final Wednesday night with students. I gave them a message that was on my heart, a charge to them. And they did a lot of fun things that night to, um, for us to celebrate all God had done together. One of the things someone had the idea of doing is that they were going to print stickers that had my image on them. They also printed stickers that had some quotes that you'll probably get tired of hearing me say from time to time. But these stickers, they must have gotten a good deal on them because I don't know how many tens of thousands of these stickers were ordered, but I know that hundreds of students were walking away from church on Wednesday night with stacks of them. And as you can imagine, high school students and middle school students would do with these. They put them everywhere. They put them on lockers. They put them on vending machines. They, they put them uh, on exit signs. They were at the high school on every rear view backup camera of every car in the parking lot. There was a town 40 miles away. People were sending me pictures of my image on uh, gas uh, pumps. Literally everywhere. I'm, I'm pulling through Duncan, right, to get my Duncan, and the guy's looking at me, and he's looking at the sticker on the drive-through window going, huh? <laughs> Everywhere. In fact, it got so bad, my, my son came home one day, and he said, Dad, I, I went to the restroom today at school, and when I shut the stall, you were staring at me. It was too awkward. I just, I just couldn't bring myself to do anything, you know? He said, Dad, I see your image everywhere I go. And then he said this. He said, I literally can't go anywhere without seeing the image of my father. Church, that is God's desire for us. What if we 
were so changed by the gift of the glory of Christ that the world said, I cannot go anywhere in Moore, in Duncan. I cannot go anywhere in Woodruff. I can't go anywhere in Spartanburg County or in Greenville County or in the state of South Carolina without seeing the image of God. That's what Paul's trying to communicate here. This is the greatest gift in the world. To have the glory of God in Christ bestowed on us and to have his spirit every day working in our lives as we surrender more and more to him to change us into the likeness of him. Just as the moon reflects the radiance and the glory of the sun, we are to reflect the radiance and the glory of God. Isaiah 43, 7 says, we were created for his glory. My friends, if you're not experiencing the gift of the glory of Christ bestowed on you, you don't know why you're here. It's the very reason we were created. In relation to this gift, Paul not only realized the value of the gift, he realized the purpose of the gift, but finally he responded with gratitude for the gift. Trev, where do you see in this passage that he said thank you? Y'all remember the story of the 10 lepers that Jesus healed? They took off, yippee, we're healed. But one of them stopped. He realized the gift and he came back and he fell at the feet of Jesus. That's how Paul lived his life. Let's go back to verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. My man's like, hey, let me explain this gift to y'all. Boldness. This is the reason I live my life the way I do. This is the reason I talk the way I talk. This is the reason I'm out here, people accusing me of being crazy. I'm bold because I understand the gift that has been given to me. Are we experiencing the gift of Christ's glory bestowed to the point that we can talk with such boldness. The story is told of a young man in Rwanda in 1980 who was told by his tribe to renounce Jesus, his faith in Christ, or be killed on the spot. This young man said, I'll never renounce Christ. And in fact, he was killed. Among his things was found a commitment written on a piece of paper. And it was titled, Fellowship of the Unashamed. Here's what it said. It said, I'm a part 
of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast, I've stepped over the line, the decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his and I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. He says, my past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dream, tame vision, mundane talking, cheap living and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, lavish wealth, position, promotions, plaudits or popularity. He said, I don't have to be right or first or tops or recognized or praised or rewarded. He said, I live by faith. He said, I, I lean on his presence. I walk by patience. I lift by prayer and I labor by Holy Spirit power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My way may be rough. My companions few. But my guide is reliable. And my mission my mission is clear. He said, I will not be bought. I will not be compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop. I must preach until all know, and I must work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me for my colors will be clear for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes this man understood what scripture said that whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, we're talking about even in the most mundane things in life, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Y'all, yesterday we all got gifts, but none compares to Christ bestowing his glory on us. The question is today, number one, have you received that glory? The Bible says in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The law condemns, the spirit of Christ saves. If you've never come to a place where you've repented of your sins, you've confessed your sins, and you said, God, I wanna put my faith and my trust in what Jesus did on the cross to save me. I choose you, I received that free gift of eternal life. Today is a day you can experience the glory 
of God for the very first time. Maybe you've received that gift before. But much like the gifts in your closet that you didn't understand, you never took time to really read the instructions on and you've just kind of put away. Maybe today you need to say, God, this whole idea of spiritual formation, transformation, God, forgive me for thinking that my relationship with you was about one prayer. God, today I want to approach you. I want to take a step towards you, and I want to allow your glory and your presence to change me. And God, I want to be a mirror that reflects your glory to the world. Finally, maybe here today, you understand the concept. But unlike Paul, unlike this young man in Rwanda, you're not living with a boldness that shines. Maybe today you need to say, God, the gift is too good to keep to myself. The greatest gift we will ever receive is Christ's glory bestowed on us. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your glory. May you be honored in and through us today. In just a moment, we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing one final song. And as we do, there will be some folks here at the front. If you would like to respond to God today, maybe you would like someone to pray for you. Maybe you would like for someone to tell you more about how you can receive this glory. These folks will be available at the front. Let me encourage you to respond. As you leave today out in the concourse, you'll see a prayer room. And there's a team there standing by to pray and to talk with you. But as we stand now and we sing this song, make it the prayer of your heart to see, to reflect the glory of God. And God, may we be amazed at your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.